Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Trip. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Jeff, it is a beautiful day here in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we have a fantastic guest on our show today. It is Chris Durso, who is the founding pastor of Misfit New York City, which is an incredible ministry uh, that served millennials uh, for a long time. And uh, he's also the uh, senior pastor now of Saints Church in Queens, New York, and Chris and his wife and their two children still reside there. And uh, he is also a Lee University fan, and technically, even though you were only here a semester, I think it was a semester or a year, you're, you're alumni. <laughs> <laughs> honorary. We need an honorary, honorary alumni. We honorary. have that kind of power. Honorary alumni. My favorite part about that is that when I came to speak at Lee last year, I thought you guys knew that. I thought that's why I was coming. I'm like, I'm alumni. I'm coming back. You know, they're bringing, they're bringing the alumni back, and you guys didn't even know. which had, was, We had no idea. <laughs> it was awesome and made me feel made me feel great. But man, I'm I'm so happy to be here. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I want to clear something up because yeah. you are you are king of the beanie hat. Now there's a couple other people who have been Am sporting. I yeah, you always get your little beanie hat on in, in socials. That's such a New York thing. So though. so I want to clarify though. Now who started the trend? Was it you, Chad Beach, or Judah Smith? Because you guys are all sporting the beanies nowadays. Oh man, those are all my best friends. Judah's like our big brother. Um, I'll give it to Judah. Um, it, it, for sure it was me, but I'll give it to Judah <laughs> for my elders. Um, uh, unsure, unsure. I mean, it's definitely a New York thing. I mean, we, we grew up wearing beanies and that's what we do. If I wear a beanie, I look like a convict. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. There's just some, there's something about my small head and a beanie. But there's, there's only four days, well. only four days in Tennessee is cold enough to wear beanies. So uh, that's, that's true, true too. That's true too. Well, well, so we give a shout out to Judah Smith. Yeah, Judah Smith. As the, as the king of the beanie wearing yeah. creatures okay. in America. And so now we have a call out to Judah Smith to be on the show. Now we do. Now there we go. It's okay. It's dropped. All right. Hey, uh, man, we, we appreciate so much you being on the show and, and really what you're doing in New York and really kind of a crazy um, time period, actually. I mean, it's, it's sort of a strange season to be in pastoral ministry, but what you guys are doing in uh, New York is, is quite phenomenal. So kind of give me um, some background on your creative culture and kind of what has led you to this point at Saints Church and maybe what you guys are kind of doing in the interim to sort of reach your people, to, to, to serve your people well um, there in New York. So kind of give us an update. What's happening in your world? Yeah, well, first off, you said a whole lot of kind things uh, in that setup. So, so thank you. Um, I'm honored to do what I'm doing. My wife and I took the position of being the lead pastors of our church in January of 2020. So what a year to start, by the right. way. Mm -hmm. This is the church that I grew up in. My parents uh, started this church. And I transitioned from my parents to me. So they led the church for 34 years. Uh, and I was their, their youth pastor. My wife and I oversaw their youth, their young adults uh, through, through Misfit. And we did that for over a decade. And then after that, uh, wasn't really sure what was going to be happening in our world. And then just uh, was asked by them, hey, we want to talk about transition. It's probably going to happen. Well, it's going to happen four years down the line. Uh, so I just started serving my parents and then mm. took on, we took on this church, which was uh, previously Christ Tabernacle. 
Right. And at the end of last year, we changed the name to Saints Church. So we are in the church that we grew up in. My wife got saved at 16, year old, 16 years old. She started coming here. I've been here forever. Um, and we've been, yeah, we've just been going and and it's been it's been a difficult season, man. I mean, like the like the whole world having to shut down and adjust and adapt uh, to this pandemic. Uh, we've just been doing the best that we can because, like most churches uh, that were used to live services, we now have to become a production studio and right. now start filming uh, services because we had such strict uh, restrictions in New York, being that it's a hotbed uh, for COVID. Um, so we were. We were recording on Tuesdays. In fact, we we are still recording, but we're about to uh, announce that we're about to start shooting services live. So you could actually live stream, and they won't be pre-recorded. We still won't have open to the public. Um, but I say all that to say, in a brand new position, taking on a church and wanting to wanting to build the church that I see, an already great church but build a church that I see in Queens, New York. I don't know if you know this, but Queens is the most diverse place on the planet, noted by National Geographic. Wow. Some nationalities living amongst one another, most languages uh, spoken amongst one another. It's also a really cool place to live within New York. So we have the five boroughs. Manhattan was the borough that everybody wanted to live in. And then uh, Brooklyn and Queens became those two boroughs. So that's where we are. Our church is a two-minute walk from Brooklyn. We're right on the borderline. So we have a whole lot of people that just moved here, uh, a, whole lot of, um, a whole lot of young people, young adults, with a mesh of older people that have lived here all their lives. So for us, and leading now this church that is 35 years old, man, what a, what a challenge. Um, but really seeing it as an opportunity to start showcasing the church that we are and want to be. So making aesthetically beautiful, um, that our set design isn't just shot anywhere randomly. We wanted to make sure that, that anyone watching, whether if they were into creativity or into the arts or into design, they would feel like, ooh, I love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care, well, you're not gonna be bothered by it because for you, it's just church. So that's what we've, we've used this time in the pre-recording of our services. Uh, to do, which we've been doing since March. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, talk about that. You, you, I mean, most of us who are in the church world have a Sunday morning church service. If we have multi-services, maybe Saturday. Yeah. You guys shifted to a Tuesday recording. So as a leader, how did that affect the way you thought about a week and plan for your week? Man, that's, that's a great question. It, it was tough, you know, because especially me being a preacher and spending the last 15 years of my life preaching, traveling, preaching, you know, so much of that dynamic is in the room. Um, I've, I've done a good amount of recording, um, you know, during those years, but there's nothing like preaching to a room full of people. Right. So, so mentally to prepare yourself, to write a message, to be ready for Tuesday is so much harder than being ready yeah. for Sunday morning. Cause you know, Sunday comes with all the beautiful dynamics of, of a Sunday. It's, and really what it is, is getting over that, that mental barrier, understanding that it's just me and a camera, but there's someone on the other side of it that is going to feel this. You know, when you're when you step in front of a camera to record, and you guys know this, is, you, you do this, you have to make sure that you're expressing yourself more than you would if you were live, because they have to feel the emotion. Right. You're creating that moment for them. And there's a fine line, by the way, where it could come 
uh, inauthentic. And you never want that, right? We never want it to feel inauthentic. We want them to feel that we're just passionate or excited or whatever the emotion is about whatever it is that we're, we're talking about. But it's not been easy, even from the worship dynamic of having a worship team in a room and they're just calling down the presence of God and worshiping Jesus. And, and I, again, I'm sure you guys have experienced this as well, but, but I'm proud of our team and they've, they've really stepped up and they've understood that the mission is so much bigger than the moment. And that, you know, that's something that we say, the mission is bigger than the moment, um, where we understand that this moment is going to go beyond and it's going to help us on mission. Yeah, I think we've talked about this a couple times on the show, especially in, in recent months, but I think the, the whole challenge for pastors who probably don't have the resource pool that maybe Saints Church does, they've really struggled with getting over this hurdle of recording on either on social media streams or just recording a message and distributing it um, because it's, it's one of the most least natural things to do is to preach to a camera, right? Number one, number two, um, a lot of these, these, these pastors don't have the support mechanisms either staff wise or volunteer wise or resource wise to pull off what they see uh, a saint's church doing or, you know, some other church style back or whoever. Right. I mean, so they, they don't have that to pull it off and it becomes very intimidating. And so I think it's really cool to hear a pastor like yourself talk about the struggles and the challenges that you're facing, even in, even though you may have a larger resource pool or a larger talent pool or whatever, right. To pull from, because I think it encourages them to know that, Hey, it's not easy, no matter how you cut it. And even the best preachers struggle with this whole idea of preaching to a camera with yeah. no one else in the room and conveying that honest emotion. So, so kudos for being uh, really transparent think, about that. And we, we, we're pretty open about our Pentecostal heritage. I think as Pentecostal preachers, we need the amen corner. Like it, it helps yeah. us like push on. And I think the challenge sometimes is when there's nobody else in the room, that, that emotion you have, that energy that comes with it is gone. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you got to look to the cameraman hope he's liking it or something. Yeah, I don't something, know. Somebody in the room got to help you out. So tell me a little bit about why Saints Church. We talked to uh, Addison Pavir not too long ago, and I know you guys kind of know each other. And, uh, you know, he had he wrote this book recently uh, about Saints. And, and I was really, uh, when you talked about taking, when you were here back uh, last year and you talked about taking over the church, renaming the church to Saints Church, um, kind of tell us a little bit about the idea behind that, because that's not necessarily a, a common church name, right? Saints Church. So, so what was kind of the passion behind it? Can, be, before, I, before I answer that question, I do feel like I should clear up something. Sure, sure. Previous statement. So we, we did not have the resources. Um, and I feel like that's probably good to say out loud for the sake of honesty and, mm -hmm. and for the pastor watching. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we had to purchase, uh, my wife and I purchased on our own. The church mm. uh, wasn't in the position to buy all the microphones and the cameras. And we weren't either, by the way. So, uh, you know, tapping into the kids' college fund. So, you know, remember that when, when Dylan and Chloe are old enough, I'm sending them to you guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> we but, welcome uh, them with open arms. I was going to set a scholarship <laughs> aside now for them. Yeah. Uh, help. Like, I, I pulled up a sign. No, but... um you know, for us, it, it was difficult. And even financially, and let, let me share this story. Um, what we did in the beginning was we pre-recorded a bunch of messages because we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So in two days, uh, we recorded a total of 13 messages. Eight of them were mine. I wow. went into, the, into our sanctuary and I changed outfits and I just kept preaching, thinking 
I have no idea. And then I had our worship team go for like six hours and just record them because I had no idea what it was gonna what it was gonna look like. Mm -hmm. So then there's that. And then realizing, man, we need this equipment, or uh, we don't have we didn't have volunteers uh, that were strong in videography. So then we had to hire videographers. Well, finances are already tight. COVID's happening. Uh, our church took a massive hit financially uh, from COVID. So making sure that the money is there so that we could still produce the excellence. Um, I do thank God for some of the experience of being behind cameras and learning from other churches, knowing what we would need to do uh, so that we could, we could pull this off. But you also had several people that had not ever been in front of a camera before. Because at our church, live stream was something we did at one of our services, but almost like it's just a window online. We didn't put any thought into it. So now right. you're running this thing and we're realizing, oh my goodness, we have people from around the world that are calling our church home. Like one of our best, one of our best volunteers on team, her name is Denise. She lives in London. She lives in London and now she serves and she helps with our chat room on YouTube every Sunday. Wow. And what I love about it is that is the beauty of what COVID has done is that it has caused us to think differently. Because really that's what creativity is, right? It's coming up with a solution for a problem uh, that didn't exist. And so you get creative. And that's what, that's what it's forced us to do. So I just wanted to say that for the pastor maybe be watching uh, because I do think that at times perception is tricky and maybe they think, oh, well, because, you know, their, their church has been around 35 years and, and everything that comes with that and, you know, platform that, that it was easy. And, and it wasn't, man, it was, it, was, it was really difficult. It's still really difficult. I just think that agility is everything. I think yeah. that yeah. even in this season, we don't make decisions that will complete COVID. I think we make decisions in the moment. Like we went into my sanctuary and we shot all those sermons and it was good for a little bit until there started to be real issues in our world that we weren't addressing because they were pre-recorded. And now started to think, man, how could I not address this, this murder? How could I not address what's happening in our world right now? Like I have to in real time because this is where people are. Right. And there are some people that just wanted to record and get it done with, like set it and forget it. And I think in this moment we have to create, uh, I'm sorry, we have to allow ourselves to be agile and speak into real life and what's happening. And people care more about that than the aesthetic, by the way. They care more about the authenticity and the honesty than anything else. So then we, we started to shoot in my home mm -hmm. and uh, started to shoot in my home with a really small team. And I'm only mentioning that because one of my, my neighbors uh, saw these people coming out of my house and it might've been eight people, but they were Spanish and Indian and black. And my neighbors, I don't have any black neighbors. I have, uh, I have Asian neighbors, I have Indian neighbors, and then the, the rest majority white. And I knew that my neighbor had an issue seeing people of color coming in and out of my house. Now, they know I'm a pastor, they know that I'm not throwing a party. Um, and yet that was even something we had to deal with within that moment, it was difficult. And it was the best because when the cop came over to shut it down, he said, eh, what you got going in there? And um, I had to say to him, I'm a pastor and we're shooting church. And he felt so bad. He said, I I'm so sorry. I, I thought you guys were having a party in there. 
And um, and I said, nope, nope, no party, uh, just shooting church. <laughs> and and so you're welcome had, to attend, by the way. <laughs> yeah, welcome to attend. And he said he was, which was awesome. Uh, and then we had to shift from there, and then figure out something else. But I think agility is so key in this season, by the way. So I just I wanted to throw that out there for the person that is watching and thought, man, he doesn't know my struggle. We struggle is, has been so real for us, from financially to even uh, creatively. Um, but, but, but I do thank God that we're here. Yeah. Um, in regards to, to saints, um, there, there's a quote that I've written down in my journal um, about five years ago now. And there's a church that uh, I preach at every year, and they would always put me in the same hotel, and great hotel. And in the lobby of the hotel, uh, there was this quote, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. And I wrote that quote down. And I always thought to myself, I'm going to use this one day. And uh, in, 2000, in 2018, uh, I told my dad, hey, I think that this should be our banner theme for the year. Every year at our church, we had a banner theme, a theme that we would pray over, a theme that we would use to mobilize people. And I just said, we should, we, our banner theme should be every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. We should come out with merch. Um, we should do a sermon series uh, called Every Saint, do another one called Every Sinner, and like just stretch this thing out. And that's where I started using the name. Now, I had known that when I became the lead pastor, both Jairus and I knew that we were going to change the name because I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that the name change was coming. Uh, and for a long time, you mentioned Judah, uh, for a long time, I thought I was going to change the name to Home Church. And, and I had it written down, and I, I did not share it with Judah, but I shared it with the rest of our friends. And I remember sharing it uh, with Carl Lentz. Carl came to preach and shout out to Carl, one of my dearest friends and big brother. He came to preach for us. And after he was done preaching, um, I told him, I was like, bro, I'm gonna change the name. He's like, what's the name? And I said, home. And he just kind of like, and I thought he didn't like it. And I was like, what happened? He's like, bro, you're gonna laugh. You need to speak to Judah. And, and I was like, no, tell me what happened. He wouldn't tell me then. And then I spoke to Judah and then found out they were changing it to church home. And I was like, well, I guess I can't do home church now. Um, and I, I didn't know. And for months, I did not know. And I did think of Saints Church, but I thought that was too cool of a name. People wouldn't go for it. Yeah. And then um, 2019, the end of August, we, we do like a three, three night thing uh, at our church where we have different guest speakers come in. And we had Havilah Cunnington come in to preach. Uh, Friday night and then stay over to do Sunday. And on the last service on Sunday, she started to prophesy. She started to prophesy over uh, Jairus and I and over the church. And she said, there's a sudden change coming. And the moment she said that, the Holy Spirit said to me, Saints Church. And I told my wife and she says, I love it. Uh, I, I agree with you. I feel like that's it. I told my parents and my dad goes, well, Vision Sunday's next week. Do you want to go to become the pastor? Because I'll announce it next week. And he announced it the next week. Oh, my goodness. How, how crazy is that? He announced it the next week. He, he, he's the best. He said, come 2020, January, we are going to be Saints Church. And that's, that's exactly that's how it. So, so, Chris, speak, speak to your dad. Now, you served under him for quite a while. Yeah. And most pastors who have been somewhere with longevity like that, 34 years, things become very sacred. What was it about your dad that was – open to to that change being able to to shift and recognize that that maybe it was time and season for that 
Yeah, so my, 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 the, what makes my dad the best is that he's always had a heart for young people. And he's always had a heart for the next generation. Mm. So he's always told our church, we're going to reach teenagers and, and we're going we're gonna to allow them to use our resources in order to do so. We're not going to give them the other room. We're going to give them the sanctuary. We're not going to give them the bad cameras. We're going to give them the best cameras. Like that, that was always his thinking. We're not going to give them a little budget. We're going to give them a budget so that they could, so that they can go reach. Now, whether if it was a really big budget or not, I've learned it really wasn't a big budget, but for us it was, you know, being in New York and being the kind of church that we are. Um, my, my dad has always, always thought like that. So our church has been known for youth ministry. I grew up in a large youth ministry. My older brother, Adam, started our, our, our youth ministry and blew it up. It was called a Youth Explosion, and it was phenomenal. And then he transitioned it to me, and then I changed it to Misfit. And I say all that to say because name changes has been a part of our history. Uh, and, and it was always like, yeah, well, we're not married to anything other than the message. We're not married to the method. We're, we're married to the message. So if that has to change, we'll change it. And however, we need to switch it up. And because he's always led that way, he's always made room for it. Now, we did get pushback from other people uh, that have been part of the church for a long time, like you always will uh, when you have change. But him and my mom have always just been the biggest champions. In fact, funny story, when I told my dad and my mom with Jairus, hey, I feel like we're supposed to change the name. Initially, for 30 seconds, they went, oof, okay, I don't know, what is it? Ah, is this really the best idea right now with transition? And then, and then my mom goes, well, well, what is it? And I said, Saints Church. And she went, that's God, I love it. <laughs> I mean, that quick, that's a, that's a dream. I mean, that was a 30 second moment of, ooh, I'm not sure to, I love it. That's it. My dad goes, that's amazing. I'll announce it next week at Vision Sunday. Um, because also we weren't just, and we don't, by the way, this, this is probably important to say, we don't just create to create. We're creating because we feel like the Holy Spirit's leading us there. So it's never just a good idea. Like had I not had that moment with Havila or had I had not had that moment in, you know, in a service where the Holy Spirit said to me, Saints Church, it's just a good idea. Right. But when God is on it, that's what makes it the best because God is the greatest creative there is, right? The first thing we ever learn about God is that in the beginning, God created. Before we know he's loving, before we know he's merciful, before we know he's gracious, we know that he's a creative and he operates that way. You know, for, for me, I always say to the church, we never want to be where God was. We want to be where God is. He's an ever moving God. He's a God on the move. So even his location changes. Um, and I think operating with that mindset helps a whole lot. That's good. So let me get, let me, uh, let me just get stereotypical here for a second, because you, you mentioned that your dad as a pastor and as a leader has always valued the youth of the church, right? So best cameras, better budget, whatever, right? So that's kind of been a value that's been instilled in you, which I think absolutely has led to the greater part of your success in terms of being able to lead misfits well and the dynamics that came through that, which is a powerful youth ministry. Um, but at the same time, we probably know, again, there's the stereotypical part. A lot of churches, many churches, if not most churches don't really prioritize youth in terms of those, those things, right? We, we prioritize, prioritize Sunday service or 
you know, executive roles mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and it's not a criticism. It's just the, the state of being. It's, it's just an assessment, right? Uh, so as a, as a leader who's been a part of a very vibrant sort of youth-focused ministry, how would you encourage pastors to begin to shift that culture and that value of being able to focus more on youth in their church? Because the whole point of this show really is about engaging young adults and why, why are they leaving church? And I think a lot of it is because we don't focus on them. So as a leader, how do you encourage pastors to begin to shift that culture and shift that focus to embrace the idea of incorporating young adults and, and youth into their, into their regular um, program services, et cetera. A constant theme of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament is that we serve a God that is generational. Mm-hmm. This is why you have chapters where you have to read the name that begets the name that begets the name that begets the name. It did not start with one person and it never ends with one person. And the stories where we do read where it ended with someone, it ended and it ended bad. Where pastors have to understand is when they first started, maybe when they were in, some pastors started in, you know, as a young adult in their 20s or their 30s, what they were doing at that time was cutting edge. The issue with so many people is that they want to continue to do what worked for them. Um, One, because it's easier. Two, because it's comfortable. Uh, Three, because it's convenient. And the issue with that is there's no hard work. Anything that's good takes hard work. And it takes hard work to engage the next generation. Uh, it, It takes hard work to keep up with the next generation. But I'm not just reaching the next generation because I believe whoever reaches the teenagers or the youth are the cool kids. I believe whoever reaches the youth wins because that's biblical. Yeah. Biblical speaking, we're always, we're always reading about the next, the next child, the next one, especially the old Testament, but even our new Testament starts off that way. It never ended with one person as great of a figure as David is. It didn't end with David. It went beyond David to then where we now have, you know, we have Jesus in the New Testament, but then even Jesus, what I love about Jesus is he's on the earth for 33 years, but only does ministry for three. And then he leaves and says, all right, I could do it better than all of you, but I'm going to leave so that now the disciples can go. And then the disciples who are basically young adults, they start to pursue ministry. And then as they start to grow, they're like, man, we got we to gotta get, get some other people. And then what does Paul do? Paul, who's on a journey, goes, man, I heard about a Timothy. Let me, um, let me pause my mission and let me go get Timothy so that I could bring Timothy with me. I think it's Acts, Acts 16. I could be wrong, but uh, it, it says when Paul picks up Timothy, it says that he goes to his house. And because his, his mother was a Greek and his, or his father was a Greek and his mother was a Jew, he wasn't circumcised. So then Paul circumcises Timothy. And then as a result of Timothy being circumcised, he takes Timothy with him on the journey. And you, you could read it in the Bible. It says that Timothy then went on to speak and deliver the good news with Paul. Mm. And as a result, the churches grew in wisdom and in numbers. Paul already knew how to speak. He already knew how to deliver messages. But there's something significant about Paul not only taking Timothy along for the journey to learn from him, but he also utilizes Timothy on the journey. And then we know Timothy becomes like the first megachurch pastor. (laughs) I mean, that's that's the beauty of bringing the next gen along. And what's so sad is that, and I say this respectfully, I know that 
older men will watch this and look at me as a younger, as, as a young adult. I'm 37 years old. I realize that that's not really, that's not really old, but that's also not really young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have learned in, in time that people don't want to change things up because they don't want to ruffle the feathers. They don't want to lose big tithers. They don't, I mean, all of those elements that go with it, which is heartbreaking because at the, at, for the sake of what? A generation in your own area doesn't feel welcomed, doesn't feel accepted. And if they do come, they have to, they have to adapt to the way that you do things. Although we live in a world that is constantly adapting to their tastes and their likes and music and their, their style of dress, but yet the church where the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise, not stubborn, yeah. not stuck in their ways, but wise. It takes wisdom to think a certain way. He who wins souls is wise. The church says, no, no, if you come in here, you can't talk like that. You can't dress like that. You can't, you, you can't behave like that. And it's just, it's like, guys, let's be wise. Let's, yeah. let, let's win some young people because young people are talented. Why are they talented? Because they've learned from the talent of the people that went be before them. They take it and then they add their spin to it and then they perfect it. And then that creates something new. If churches were wiser, the ones that struggle in this area, they would embrace it. And realizing it's not taking away from you, it's only adding to you. Right. So, so Chris, we kind of, we've kind of danced around it and I would like to get a little more direct on the question. Um, you ran misfits for about 10 years, had a, and youth explosion, huge youth ministry. Yeah. Um, Christ Tabernacle, which was the church before you named it saints was, was a, a large church. Did you see carryover from, and this is what happens. I think a lot of times in youth ministry, let me kind of sidebar here. We have big youth ministries and they never come and engage in the Sunday service or the main sanctuary. Yep. What did Misfits do and, and now Saints Church and that marriage between the two help bridge the gap between an explosive youth ministry and the church as a whole? Yeah, I think what we made sure, so we made sure that our youth service was on Friday nights. Yeah. The youth service that happened on Friday nights was to complement the overall church, mm. but not treated as a nursery that you would drop your kids off and that's where the kids would either be watched or get their fix of church. The teenagers that were coming on Fridays were expected to be there on Sundays. And there was always a push for that. And the reason why that's so important is to help bridge that gap that we're talking about, because it can't just be top down, it has to be down up. So, so those young people have to see at the time, my dad, Pastor Durso, uh, Pastor Michael Durso, as their pastor, not Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris is Pastor Michael Durso's youth pastor, and whom Pastor Michael Durso has put in place to be the youth pastor. And people would come up to me because, you know, people could treat churches like gangs, and they'll be like, "Yeah, but you know, you're really my pastor." And and I would shut it down, and my wife would shut it down, like, "No, we're not your pastors, we're, we're your youth pastors." But Pastor Michael Durso and Pastor Miriam. There, there are pastors, and it, it takes it takes it takes a lot from both sides. And I, we do see a lot of youth pastors, by the way, that use it to build their own thing, and that's where they do become a threat to the senior pastor. And the senior pastor is not wrong if they feel that thing. Like it feels like you're utilizing and leveraging what I have to build your own thing, and that's not okay. So going back to my dad and my mom, why they were such champions is because they wanted the young people singing on the worship team and yeah. doing the announcements. They didn't want any separation. They wanted, they wanted a marriage. 
And that's also really important. And I'm not talking about just using someone because they're old, um, young, but allow their talent to be used. And what we would do um, in the Misfit days is uh, we would have 9, 11, and 1 p.m. services at the time. We always said that the 1 p.m. service was the Misfit service. So we would have reserved seating for Misfit and whoever came, um, we would sit amongst one another and we would shout them out in the middle of service and we would celebrate them and, and we would do other things reverse, but the young people would celebrate the older. Um, every Friday, if you've ever watched any of our live stream or services for or over the decade that I led Misfit, we opened up every service with on behalf of our senior pastors, pastors Michael and Maria Durso, we want to welcome you and greet you. We are so honored to have you. We did that every week. And someone said, man, why are you doing that? That's redundant. Because I wanted to make sure that the honor stood there. We're never going to get so used to this thing. Because what happens is we think, we think at the time, like a youth pastor, I built all this. Look at all the hundreds of people that are coming out. You ain't built this. Your time didn't do this. This is the church's, <laughs> yeah. this is the church's leadership that got this building here and even set you up to do this on a Friday night. So it's a marriage and it takes a lot of honest conversation. I think that the senior pastor needs to include the youth pastor in development and discipleship and make way for the youth pastor to ask questions so that they could create an honest relationship. Um, not the youth pastor that just wants to use the building and then they're traveling. You know, if there was ever a time that my dad was annoyed with me, it was only because I traveled so much that I wasn't there on a Sunday. And he didn't, he wasn't worried about my salvation because he knew I was saved. He was worried about the church not seeing me and the appearance that I was just there to do my own thing on a Friday. And I respect him for that because now in his position for only a handful of months, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that from a youth pastor. I would want my youth pastor a part of Sundays where where parents could meet him and see them. Yeah, that's such good. an important piece. Let's shift gears here just for a second. And these are incredible conversations, but uh, you've already kind of talked a little bit about Queens, which is, according to National Geographic, the most diverse city place on earth, right? With all the languages and people and cultures. And, um, and there's no question right now that, that our culture in general is experiencing uh, tension with diversity and understanding how to in, engage in those in those kinds of conversations. So as a pastor in a community that is extremely diverse, you probably have a little bit different skill set than some pastors who live in more homogeneous communities where it's all white. Again, that's not a criticism. It's just, it's where you live, right? It's where you serve, right? So um, but for those, for those two different kind of spectrums, how can, how can we as, as leaders in the body of Christ, because this is not really a culture issue, this is a Christian issue. This is, this is a believer issue where we're called to love and all people and be present in each other's lives, right? So how can we begin to embrace these kinds of conversations in our, in our daily routines, rhythms, and practices um, as, as local churches? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. For me, I'm gonna I'm a drill down and go super basic right away. This for me is a kingdom mindset. This is not a left mindset right. or a right mindset. This is kingdom. And we serve a God that established his kingdom and how he does things. We, we read from the life of Jesus. He spoke to who he wanted to speak to 
on whatever day he wanted to speak. He, he didn't allow the law to dictate what he needed to do. In other words, he didn't serve the law. The law served him because that's what the law was in place to do originally. It wasn't supposed to be ritualistic. It was supposed to be there to help us to observe and remember God. When you have a kingdom mindset, you're not saying, I can't talk to that person because look at how they're dressed or look at how they behave. No, you, you, you talk to them. And anyone hearing me say that will go, absolutely. Then how much more <laughs> when it talks to people that aren't dressed inappropriate or who cares how they're dressed or whatever they're doing, but someone with the opposite or different skin color than you, why would you think that this is a political issue and not a kingdom issue? This, is, right. this needs to be a kingdom concern for people. Now, yes, I am born and raised Queens, New York. I, I went to, I went to um, middle school in Flushing, Queens. I went to high school in Jamaica, Queens. I went to college uh, in Manhattan for a little bit before I went over to Cleveland to leave for that one semester. Hmm. So you know, my, my, my world is, is very diverse. And here's what I've learned from from all my years, I never knew, I never knew about diversity or really racism until I left New York. Right. In fact, it was my roommate uh, at Lee, I hope I'm okay to say this, uh, who, who basically saw a picture of my girlfriend at the time and who's now my wife. And he looked and he looked at the picture and he goes, man, um, your girlfriend, she don't, like she looks white, but she don't look white, white. And, um, <laughs> And I said, well, she's, she's German and Colombian. And he goes, Colombian? Is that like Mexican? <laughs> and I'm like, Colombia, a completely different country. And, and in fairness to him, he was just speaking from a place of ignorance. And I mean ignorance, not in an offensive way, but in the purest sense of, of the word. He couldn't speak into what he didn't know. Right. And what I'm saying is this is a beautiful moment in time for everybody just to lean in a little bit and not say, because I grew up this way, I completely understand and completely know better or have a full scope on it. This is about politics. This is about, this is about causing division. This is about people that are hurting. And whether they're completely right or wrong, whether they're completely sound in their speech or wrong, and now I'm talking about everybody, white people, black people, Spanish, Everyone needs to lean in, but we also need to be leaning into those that are hurting. We have people that are hurting in our world, and Christians have gall to say, well, this is about politics. So how about someone's hurting because they're mourning the loss of their child? And regardless of the history of their child, their child is dead, and social media is a real thing. And your video camera is giving you a voice where anyone could go watch it and you keep making it about statistics, except if it were your child, you wouldn't look at it as a statistic. You would be genuinely heartbroken over your child. And this is, this is why for God so loved the world, the whole world, that God looked at all his children and was so heartbroken that said, man, let me send my son Jesus to, to atone for their sins because none of them get it right. And I I don't know if I fully answered your question, but when I, you know, your question for me, that's where it it leads me to think, because I've had so many conversations with white pastors and black pastors, and and there's a lot of not understanding happening. And it's okay to not understand, and it's okay to not agree. What's not okay is our behavior and our tone that is offensive. 
you know, it, I don't have to agree with you to love you. And that's a kingdom principle, by the way. Mm-hmm. And if we could apply that and operate in that, man. Yeah. So, so further, further answer that question a little bit more for us, Chris. How does Saints Church kind of celebrate all the uniqueness and diversity of Queens? Yeah, I mean, you know, pe- people have asked me this question, like, how do I get a church as diverse as yours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, open up in Queens, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to Queens. <laughs> like, I, I realize in Cleveland it's yeah. not going to happen, but yeah, how, are, how are those... How are yeah. those uniqueness kind of celebrated in the culture of, of Saints Church? Yeah, I mean, because we want them to be who they are without throwing away how they were brought up. I mean, now from a leadership perspective, we have we have a handbook and we have a playbook and we have behaviors uh, and wanting to see our team operate in if they're going to represent Saints Church, whether they're a host or they're leading worship or you know wherever they fall on team. But we don't want them to change them you know if i right several older people in our church and if they're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 who who cares how old they're if they dress how they dress that's how they dress i I don't want them to dress like me i want them to dress like like them or if if someone if someone is hispanic with and they have because maybe they lived in dominican republic or puerto rico and they have an accent uh from where they came from i don't want them to change that i just want us to be the saints as we move forward and i think there's a fine line where churches try to control too much um, of behaviors. No, we, this is just how we behave. Like if you got, let's say, I mean, forgive me, this might be a poor example, but uh, if you got a job at, at the Gap, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to take on the ideals of the Gap and, and operate that way. If you work at Lee University, there's a, there's a certain time you have to be in work. There are certain behaviors that are allowed or not allowed. All of that's okay. But at the same time, still be you. And that's the beautiful thing of, of, of diversity because you don't have every, every person as the same. What, what's so fascinating to me is that we serve a diverse God. Yeah. Our God is three in one. Even our God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, even in that belief alone, there are different facets to God and all of them should be celebrated. And I think we take the same idea and apply it to leadership. Um, yeah. That would help us further along. Yeah, that's good. So maybe just a, a, a statement here, but I think I think you're onto something in terms of, especially when it comes to young adults, young adults engaging in the local church. Yeah. We have to move beyond the idea as Christians towards behavior modification and sure. really start focusing on transformational living because those are two separate things, right? So I think when we give the invitation to journey spiritually as they are with what they have and they come, I think that opens the door to a beautiful sort of transformational living, right? And, and unpacking of all of these issues that we don't understand, whether it be diversity or whether it be some other aspect of, of life that we're trying to figure out as the local church. Right. And I think this, it's not that behavior isn't a critical piece of it because certainly as believers, we conduct ourselves behaviorally in a certain way. Right. Uh, you mentioned gangs earlier, right? We don't put on brass knuckles and go right. out, throw down in the streets. We may there may <laughs> there may be an occasion where that's necessary. You really want to be but New York, don't I really, you? I really want to be in New York right now. <laughs> I like gritty New York, man. It's it's awesome. You're, you're an honorary New Yorker. I'm All honorary right, New Yorker. he's honorary alum. You're honorary there you New York. Go, there you go. I'm honorary alumni, then you're honorary New York. Awesome. Everybody's awesome. winning today. That's it. I'm I'll a New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think, I think, you know, I think what I love about your heart and, and, you know, in our conversations, not only just now on the show, but the conversations we had when you're here last year, I mean, it's, it's this idea of helping young adults learn to live transformationally. Yes. We know you have questions, bring the stupid questions, right? Yes. I know you have concerns and issues about what being a Christian actually means. Just bring those as well. I think, I think as, as pastors and as leaders, if we can, if we can live in that direction, the behavioral things will adjust the closer they get to Christ because that's what he does. That's what right. the spirit of God does, right? He moves us. And I, I, I just, I think, I think what you're on and I think what yeah. you're saying is, is a critical aspect I, of the equation. And I think what we've heard from Chris and then, which really links back to your dad sounds like is you guys weren't afraid of that. You weren't yeah. afraid of young people showing up with questions and, and their, their struggles to, to kind of walk them through it. And I feel like the, the most, the, the most dangerous thing I said to the youth pastor, I didn't say a lot of good things, but I said this, I said to a group of students and parents got mad. I said, I don't care about your behaviors. I care about your heart. Cause if God changes your heart, your behavior change. So, there you go. so I, again, parents didn't like that so much because they wanted me to fix their kids. <laughs> but, but I think what, what we've heard, excuse me, what we've heard from Chris and his dad, Michael, is that, they weren't afraid of these young people coming and showing up with all of that struggle and, and navigating that. Yeah, um, right. So I think that's, that's where the you church know, can really make a turn. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you, you, you all saying that. I think if, if anyone has ever heard me preach, I typically preach through stories of the Bible and I love to go verse by verse because the closer I stay to the Bible, and all I have to do is preach that Bible. I don't have to think that hard. Right. I'm trying to preach an idea and find a verse to fit my idea. I'm going to just preach the text. And whatever comes out of it is because it was already there. That's why we have that verse. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, what, what is already in the Bible is already there. And here's, here, here's the beautiful part about the Bible. It's always good for all problems. It's always good for all situations. There's not one part of the Bible that is not good or preaching and teaching. So the reason why even for me, I stick so close to the text and if God puts a verse on my heart, I'm gonna preach it through. And if I preach it through and I make sure that it is theologically sound, whoever comes in contact with it is going to, is going to receive a moment of transformation, not because my preaching is good, but because the Bible is that good. And so if someone is 80 or they're 20, that's what the Bible does. And I think that church is overcomplicated, by the way. They overcomplicate it because they make it about reaching a certain demographic. I've never written a sermon going, I gotta reach young adults. I've never written a sermon going, I gotta reach 80 year olds. I've written every sermon based off of, I'm just gonna preach this text. And whatever the Holy Spirit shows me as a result of it, that's what I'm going to say. And whoever that lands with, that lands with. And the same way, if I talk to a 70-year-old person about their life after a service or in my office or a 30-year-old, I'm only going to answer the questions that they're asking and they're currently dealing with. And as churches, we have to be okay with handling all problems, not just the ones we can relate with. And I think that I think that there are a lot of great preachers and a lot of great preachers have figured out these ideas. But for me, the reason why I stick so close to the text and I will preach through a story or I will preach through three verses rather than a thousand verses is for me because everything that's there is so good 
Let me just get it out and let me say it how I feel it. And let me say it from a place of honesty. Because if there's anything, if you really want to reach any person, I, I've learned this in my travel. I've traveled the world. I've preached all around the world. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that he, here's the, the lesson I've learned. I've learned that as long as you remain authentic, you will connect with people. If you walk into a room and you're trying to size people up and go, ooh, you know what, this crowd looks like they like humor more than they like um, um, loud preaching, or this, this crew looks like they like uh, uh, quiet preaching more than they like a uh, lot. I learned that it doesn't work. What people connect with is authenticity. You yeah. wanna reach young adults? Be authentic. Speak, speak honestly. I literally had this conversation yesterday with another pastor and I've had, this is no lie at the time of the recording of this show, I've had four pastors within the last 24 hours from California to Virginia, reach out to me, just friends, whatever they're done. They're emotionally cooked, right? Because they're, they're trying to trying to reconnect the dots of, of where they're currently living and what's going on in the worlds, et cetera. But the point is literally had this conversation yesterday one of the one of the guys was trying to be really cute in his in his approach and i, I just told him I said bro it's authenticity every time authenticity trumps aesthetic every single time just be authentic be real and so it's cool that you brought up that conversation because i think designer christianity has had its place i think we've done a really good job at creating uh designer christian ministries designer christian nonprofits, designer, Christian platforms, whatever. But I think in a world that's hurting, they don't need designer Christianity. They need the gospel. And so I think that's the effectiveness. And I I just appreciate you saying that we're getting out of time and I want to make sure we kind of address this, this question, but there was a time for you where you did not think pastoral ministry was a legitimate uh, pursuit or even an option perhaps. So um, I think a lot of young adults who feel a strong call into ministry assume that it has to look or be a certain way. And, and that's not true. We know that's not true, but they really struggle. Probably the second highest counseling conversation I have in my office is what do I do with this passion because I don't want to preach or I don't want to do these things. So kind of walk us through a little bit about how you wrestled with your calling into pastoral ministry, which you actually didn't think was an option at one point. Yeah, so true story. Um, I'm seven years old. I'm in my parents' kitchen. Uh, pastor Jim Simbola, uh, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, is in my parents' kitchen, and my parents are talking with him about me, and I'd struggled with learning. and had a learning disability uh, at that age, and he just prayed over me and prophesied over me, and I'll never forget. I was seven years old. <laughs> I'll never forget. It was 30, 30 years ago. He said, he said, don't worry about him. He's going to be okay. God's going to use him to be a pastor. And the mo- moment I heard him say that, I knew he was right. I knew that he was right in saying that I'm supposed to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. So especially as a seven-year-old who wants to be a pastor, right? But as I continue to grow, I definitely didn't want to be a pastor. Um, I wanted to do everything else but pastor. I didn't one, I didn't want the life that came with being a pastor because I wanted a normal life. Uh, my parents were constantly, you know, visiting people in hospitals or prisons or at their homes. And I just thought, man, that's too much. Uh, on top of it, I didn't do well in school. So this idea that I would teach people anything, uh, I can't even learn from myself. How's that going to happen? I mean, yeah. or public speaking. I never wanted to speak publicly. I never wanted to get in front of anyone. And it actually wasn't until 
uh, as a young adult, my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, said to me, why are you running from the one thing we all know you're called to do? Like, in college, I was pursuing psychology. I'm 11 credits away from my psych degree. And the reason why I didn't complete that degree is because it was disobedience. I was trying to show God, I'll reach people this way, but I don't want to do it that way. I don't, I don't want to preach. I don't want to pastor. Mm-hmm. It's too difficult. And now, in the moment that I, 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 I surrendered, this is why Romans 12 is like my life verse uh, to offer yourself as living sacrifices. The moment that I surrendered it, everything switched and changed for me. And here's a statement I think it's good for any young adult or any adult or any young person or older person to write down. Your mission dictates your decisions, not the other way around. My decisions don't dictate my mission. My mission dictates my my decisions. In other words, God, where did you call me? There there was a season uh, after youth ministry, before accepting the number two position as my dad in transition that I thought I was going to live in Nashville uh, for a little bit. I was going to move on over and be a teaching pastor at the Belonging Co., for uh, some of our best friends, Henry and Alex Seeley. And I thought that's, that's what I was gonna do. And then I would travel and, and do all of that. Now I knew what God had for me, but I thought that was a, a part of it until I'm there looking at homes and we were kind of excited. You know, New City, Nashville is pretty awesome. We have some of our best friends there. This will be a cool break from New York. And dad called me while I'm there and said, son, uh, I want you to come home. Um, your older brother who was supposed to take the church has decided not to take it. Me and your mom were praying. We feel like it's supposed to be you. So then I go, okay. And me and my wife just looked at each other and go, we got to go home. And I really wanted to live in Nashville. And my yeah. wife really wanted to live in Nashville. <laughs> my kid really, but you know what? My mission dictates my decisions, not the other way around. We don't do it out of convenience. We do it out of calling. And I think that for anyone, as soon as you realize it's not about you, it's my story for his glory. The moment you realize it's not about you, but it's all about God, you start, you start deciding differently. It's not about whether I want to preach or not, or whether or not I want to get in front of people. And I know there are a lot of people that really want to preach, so that makes it confusing. Like, why don't you just use them? Why are you going to use me? But, you know, God does what he wants. <laughs> and it's up to God for him to use who he wants to use and why he uses them. And I think that's... At the, at the foundation of, of purpose, why you say yes. Yeah, awesome. that's, that's good. And we, we love the Sealies as well. We had Alex on the show um, last spring and like was 45 minutes of just amazement. So we were, we're drinking from a fountain. Yeah, yeah like a fire hose, more like a fire hose. It wasn't a fountain, it was yeah, a fire hose. We love the Sealies and love Blanco as well. Well, Chris, we want to wrap this up. We want to honor your time. And I know our listeners have just I hope they have really taken notes, but I have two pages of notes. I hope they have written some things down as well. If you're driving, don't write at the same time. Yeah, like pull that's, over, that's write bad. it down, whatever, whatever. Or if you're running, you know, maybe go home and, and, and write it down. But we have one final question. We ask every one of our guests because we do record here on a college campus. Um, you spent one semester here at Lee. It can be about that experience or, or other college experiences. But what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? That's a good question. You know, I remember being at Lee and it was a, it was a, a weekend and Saturday we didn't have classes, um, watching college basketball 
and I didn't even know people cared about college basketball because I was from New York. We didn't watch college basketball. And we're there, we're just hanging out, eating Chick-fil-A, didn't even know what Chick-fil-A was, uh, but shout out to the student union building. And we're just hanging out, we're having a good time, uh, probably using some ranch that we stole uh, from the cafeteria. Um, and I, I'll never forget uh, talking to a friend there who, who was struggling with weight loss. And he started to, to not, he broke his diet in that moment. And I, I was getting on him and I was getting on him more like, come on, man, you, you said you were going to do this. Like, like, let's go. And, and it was like, it, it crossed the line from being tough love to too tough. And I never forget another friend stepping in and going, Hey man, before you worry about him, worry about yourself. And it was in that moment, it was just so humbling for me. It might not sound that profound, but it was so profound for me because I realized how, how sharp I could be with my words. And as opposed to encouraging and building up my friend, I was literally bothering him and humiliating him because there were other people there. And I wasn't, I wasn't like poking fun to be mean, but in my attempt to correct, mm. I was hurting. And I think if there's anything that I've learned, especially as a leader and as a pastor and as a friend and as, as a brother, there is a fine line when it comes to correction. There is a fine line uh, between correction and, and abuse. I, that, that might be too strong of a word, but you know what? Uh, when I think about that moment, my, my friend was embarrassed. He didn't feel like I was being his friend. Right. And I think that as leaders, I think that as young adults, we got to be mindful of, of our words, especially in a season where we have so many platforms through social media and everybody is trying to get your opinions from you. Be careful how you talk about other people. Be careful in your attempt to correct them that you don't discourage them uh, because there's a fine line there and you could share your heart, you could share your feelings, but then you got to learn when to back off. And I remember that moment, not backing off and my other friends stepping in and causing me to back off and thinking, yeah. man, I crossed the line. Yeah, that's, that's so good. good. That's awesome. Hey everybody, this has uh, been Chris Durso on the show, dude. We have loved having you here on the show and I look forward to continuing uh, our friendship, our relationship. Looking forward to getting you back to Lee at some point. But as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, bro, you've got a seat at the table. Thank you, man. I love you guys. So appreciate uh, you having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table. <laughs>